Welcome to the Light and Hope podcast here at Britain Christian Church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, here's Pastor Trey. Here today, uh, we have like a lot of sickness going on in the house, so pray for my wife who's at home with all the kids. Uh, I told them before I left, they are not allowed to get mom sick. I don't care what else happens, they're not allowed to get mom sick. Uh, but my oldest son, Elias, he and I went to see the movie uh, Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse, uh, shortly after it came out, when it was released in theaters. And man, we enjoyed it. We sat through over two hours of a movie, uh, incredible film, only to be let down by the ending. If you've seen the movie, you feel my pain. You know what I'm talking about. Man, what a good movie. And then it left us with our jaws on the floor. Um, cliffhangers, if they're done right and they're done well, works really good. But they did not do a good job with the cliffhanger in this movie. So if you haven't seen it, um, go see it. <laughs> That's not a good selling point, right? Uh, so we sat through this movie, and at the end, we turned and looked at each other in total shock and disappointment. I mean, our faces were long with, what? That's it? You know, cliffhangers should leave you with, with some sense of uh, longing for, like, what's coming next, but also with a bit of satisfaction about what you have just experienced, right? Now, I feel like... Part of chapter 12 in Revelation left us that way. There was a, a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of Revelation chapter 12, because in that chapter, what we were witness to was the dragon had waged war against the woman's child, right? He tries to destroy the woman's child, and God delivers that child, makes a way out for him. Well, then he turns his wrath towards the woman and persecutes her, but God makes a way out for the woman as well. And then the deceiver turns his wrath towards those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the offspring of the woman, the church. But what's left off is how or if they survive the deceiver's wrath. So we're left with, a, with somewhat of a, of a cliffhanger. Now, I think chapter 13 uh, picks up from there and, and kind of finishes this thing out. I, I, I think what, what we see there, even though it's not always in chronological order, you know, as you read through the book of Revelation, it's not always in chronological order, but I do think that chapter 13 follows closely behind what we see happening in chapter 12. Satan has repeatedly, numerous times, tried to destroy the woman's child. We know this person to be Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's tried to destroy the woman as well. And then chapter 12 ends with him turning his wrath toward us, the children of the woman, the offspring, the church. Now, how his wrath is revealed, I think, is clearly seen and laid out in chapter 13. In this chapter, what we witness are the deceptive practices of Satan to lure the unsuspecting, the unaware, and unprepared, and the unbelieving away from the sovereign 
Lord, that we have come to know and love. He's trying to lure them away from trusting in God. And what we'll see in this chapter is not only true for the churches during the time that John is writing these letters, but it's equally true for you and me today. In his gospel, John records that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, that he does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, John says. He records that. This is Jesus speaking. He says he speaks out of his own nature and character because he is a liar and he is the father. He is the originator of lies. Jesus warned us with these words from Matthew's gospel that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, don't believe it. Don't fall for it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and they will show signs, great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect of God. Now, after John witnesses the cosmic war taking place Uh, Satan against the woman, against her child, and against those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. After he sees that, he notices two incredible beasts, one coming out of the sea, and then the second one is coming out of the land. Now, many Bible commentators look at these two figures as the Antichrist. Now, in John's letter, 1 John, he talks about that there are many Antichrists, right? Uh, But this one has come to be known as the Antichrist. This is one central figure. Uh, And the second beast is the false prophets. Now these two combine, if you take the dragon out of the, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the land and the dragon, uh, you combine them together, they make up what has been labeled the unholy trinity. Uh, Obviously, this is a perversion of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Now, this is a perversion, a total perversion, and we'll see this on repeat as we go throughout uh, this this part of Revelation chapter 13. I want to take a look at the first 10 verses. I had intended to take us through the entire 13th chapter, but God had a different plan, and I realized that when my anxiety got high and I couldn't figure out how to make it all come together. So God said, you don't need to do that. Just stop at verse 10. So that's what I did. Um, Let me pray for us and then we're going to continue. Join me. Father God, I thank you this morning for uh, this testimony. There is absolutely nothing that can wash away our sins. There is no remedy for what we are dealing with, but the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the only answer to what ails us. And God, we thank you that you loved us so much. You made a way. Through your son, Jesus Christ, you have demonstrated how much you love us and that he has gone to the cross on our behalf. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Your word is truth. It sanctifies us, God. It sets us apart from the world and sets us apart unto you. Use us this morning and speak to us, Holy Spirit, that we may know what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to verse number one, Revelation chapter 13, verse one to verse two. John says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. 
having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now it depends on, on what translation of the Bible you have as to how verse 1 will read. Many manuscripts say, then I saw, referring to John, right? And then other manuscripts say, the dragon saw, or the dragon stood, sorry. Now this would be referring to the dragon from chapter 12 that's making war with, with the woman's children. Don't let this hang you up because of those two uh, different in, translations of that first verse, because I do believe that both can apply in this context. Obviously, it's John who sees what is going on, since he is the one who is recording the revelation, right? Now, it's, it's also true that what John is seeing could be the dragon, the beast, standing on the shore of the sea. So there's no issue there. And I bring this out because a lot of people like to argue about how contradictory the Bible is and how it doesn't agree in a lot of places. There's no issue with this first translation uh, of this verse. As John watches, he sees the dragon and, and he summons the beast from out of the sea. Historically, this beast, again, has been known or referred to as the Antichrist. It has the appearance of a leopard, has the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion, which it uses to, to shout great and awful blasphemies against our God, against uh, the name of God and against the people of God as well. If you go to Daniel chapter 7, turn there with me. In Daniel chapter 7, there you can see a similar description given to the beast that Daniel sees in his own vision. In verse number 1, Daniel says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while he was on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched until its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Suddenly, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said this, Arise and devour much flesh. After this, I looked and there was another, like a, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now where Daniel sees four distinct beasts, a lion, a bear, a leopard, and then a fourth terrible beast, a horrible sea monster 
Think of uh, Godzilla, right? Uh, he sees a horrible sea monster. In Daniel's interpretation of the four beasts, what he tells us in verse 17 is that these are four kings or they are four kingdoms. And many scholars believe that these four kings or kingdoms, the, the beast that Daniel references here, that they refer to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and possibly Rome being the fourth and terrible beast. Now, I think Rome would most likely be who John has in mind as he is writing his letters to the churches because they are under the Roman government, and Rome has been persecuting the church for a long time. And so John possibly has Rome in mind uh, thinking about this beast. Now, I tend to agree with Leon Morris on this point when he says, Many see in the beast a reference to the Roman government, but it seems too simplistic. We may well see in the empire a preliminary manifestation of the evil that will one day be realized to the full in the Antichrist. But there's so much more to the beast than ancient Rome. I like that. And folks, a lot of time, a lot of ink has been used up on trying to nail down who exactly the Antichrist is, who this beast is, and, and they have failed on every attempt. And so I'm not here this morning to talk about who the Antichrist is to answer that question for you. I'm less concerned with who he is than I am with what he has done or what he will do. And that's what I want to spend our time on today. If you notice, almost immediately when we read this chapter, these first 10 verses especially, we see that the dragon and the beast, they have no real power. They have no real power. Repeatedly in this chapter, we come across phrases like this. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. The dragon who gave authority. He was given authority. It was granted. Authority was given him. He was granted to do. And he was granted power. Now we have to keep this in mind that, that the dragon and the beast have no real power because the only one who has any real power and authority is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. After he rose from the grave, the scriptures tell us that he rose from the grave by his own power, right? After he rose from the grave and, and he commissions his disciples with the gospel, he comforted them with these words. He says, all authority has been given to me, all authority in heaven and all authority in earth. Paul says, he reminds us in Romans 13, 1, that any authority that exists, it exists because God has allowed it to. It is by the appointment of God that all authorities exist. Now, all that we will see in this chapter as it pertains to the dragon and the beast is a twisting of the truth. It's a perversion or a parroting of actual power. Satan is trying to make it appear as though Christians are losing when in chapter 12, we've already been told that we won. And we can see that today. Satan's deception and his lies, the the, the church is irrelevant, that, that we don't matter. We don't have a place. We're outdated and antiquated. Right? We can see that happening today. 
the evil of, of Satan trying to influence people in our world. Immoral, immorality is rampant. Evil is everywhere. Hopelessness and despair has arrested the hearts and minds of so many people. Divorce is still a major problem for the church. Sexual abuse is huge everywhere. I just watched a documentary on Netflix. I love documentaries. I watched a documentary on Netflix about the Boy Scouts of America. It's called Scouts of Honor. And they chronicle the godless behavior that has been taking place in that organization. Crime and drugs plague our world. Politics, culture, and nationalism is the new theology of the church. I could go on and on and on. J. Scott Duvall accurately says that the power of the beast, it, it has the appearance of being unmatched. Although the war has already been waged and won against the dragon and his followers. Folks, hold fast to Christ. Don't be duped by the devil. Look at verse 3. John says, I saw on his head, as if it had one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. And they said, who's like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, we're told that Satan has the ability to, the ability to appear as an angel of light. And with that power, he's going to lead many people astray. This is the first way in which he deceives folks, by convincing them that he has the power of life. In verse 3 of chapter 13, John says that he saw what looked like one of the beast's heads mortally wounded, and the deadly wound was healed. Now, the interesting thing about this verse, uh, we don't see it in, in our English translations, but in its original language, it's very interesting because the word that John uses for wounded which he talks about the beast's head, it's the same word in the Greek that is translated as slain or slaughtered when he's talking about the lamb. If you look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 and 9, and later we'll get to chapter 13, verse 8, you can see it there. In verse 6 of chapter 5, John says, I look and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been what? Slain or slaughtered, your translation may say. This is the same word that he used to talk about the wounding of the beast's head. In, in verse 9 of chapter 5, John says, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, isn't that interesting? The one thing that Satan does not want us to believe is the very thing he will use to establish himself as an authority in this world. You see, he knows the power of the resurrection. He knows that death could not hold Jesus and it cannot hold those of us who have placed our hope and trust in him. Like Susan Taylor, 
Jessica was talking about this morning. Death could not hold her. And Satan knows full well that Jesus has power over death. Although we may die in this life, this is not the end for us. Because our Savior lives, we shall live as well. John said in John chapter 10, Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 18 that no one takes my life from me. He says, I willingly lay my life down. I have the power to do that. And I have the power to take it up again. And this is a commandment that he received from his father. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. He is the whole reason that we gather together on Sunday mornings, folks. It is the very hope that you and I have as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says that if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, much like Jesus, Satan is going to use uh, this, this resurrection of sorts to gain his followers. Chuck Swindoll says that the one who disguises himself as an angel of light will provide the world with a copycat Christ to match all of their man-made, man-centered ideals of personality, of politics, and of power. So when the beast healed himself, seemingly, John noticed that the entire world stood in total amazement at what they had seen. Now what should have been their response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ becomes their response to the beast's trickery. This is no different than what we see happening in, in our world today as men and women, boys and girls, reject the sound doctrine of the word of God. And they look for leaders who will approve of and affirm their godless lifestyles. People don't want to be led by Jesus. They want to be led by politicians and pop culture. They don't want truth. They want affirmation. That's why 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For that reason, God will send them a great strong delusion that they should believe the lie they've already bought into. The whole world marvels at what the beast had done. And they worship the dragon, and they worship the beast, and they say, Who, who's like him? Who's able to stand against the beast? And folks, Satan has always wanted what rightly belongs to our God. Isaiah 14 and 14 Satan says, I'll ascend above the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. This is the one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself to be God. John Wolvert says that this is Satan's final form, of counterfeit religion in which he assumes the place of God the Father and the beast or the world ruler assumes the role of king of kings as a substitute for Christ. And folks, the entire world is going to fall for that hoax. The entire world is going to be duped by that deception with the exception of one group of people, the redeemed. With the exception of those of us whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. We'll see through that force. Look at verse 5. 
John says, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, to blaspheme his tabernacle, and to blaspheme those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him that he should make war with the saints and indeed to overcome the saints. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Folks, the next way that Satan is going to try to deceive us is by speaking boastful blasphemies against our God. Satan is going to shout to the world that God isn't real, that, that God has no power, that if he did have power and if he was real, then he would give you the kind of life that you want for yourself instead of giving you the kind of life that he has desired for you to have. Something I've come to learn over, over the years uh, as I've been in many fights myself and I've been around people who have gotten into fights, this is, this is true. Oftentimes, the loudest person in the room is the weakest one. The one making the most noise has the least power and is usually the one who couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. They use the tactic of intimidation. They, they start shouting loudly and acting out so they can intimidate their opponent and hopefully scare them off from the fight. That's what we have going on with the beast. As he's shouting these blasphemies against our God, he's trying to intimidate us into believing that God isn't able, that he can't do anything about it. Now, I won't spend a whole lot of time talking about uh, Satan's blasphemies because those of us who have the name of the Lord written on our foreheads, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise for the day of our redemption. We know the truth. We know the God we serve. And nothing that any demonic source will say can convince us otherwise. But folks, let me just remind us real quickly about who our God is. According to Exodus chapter 18, we know that there is no one like the Lord our God. We know according to Exodus 15, 11, that our God is glorious in holiness, that he's fearful in praises, that he does wondrous works. We know that our God stands alone as sovereign, according to Psalm 90, verse 2, which says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We know that our God can, shut, uh, can open the mouth of a donkey, and he can shut the mouth of a lion. We know that he will allow you to go through fire and come out without even the smell of smoke on your clothes. We know that he'll make your enemies his footstool, that he'll cause an increase where there is a deficit, that he will bring life out of death. Here are some of the ways we, we like to refer to him. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Rohi. He's our shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Makedesh, our sanctifier. Jehovah Shalom, he's our peace. He's Jehovah Sitkanu our righteousness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our great high priest. He is our atoning sacrifice. And for anyone visiting this morning who doesn't know who I'm talking about, and you don't have a relationship with this God like I do, 
We call him Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's the first. He's the last. He's the Almighty. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the bright and morning star. He is the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And he is a demonstration of God's love for you. Church, don't let the devil tell you who your God is. You remind him about the one you serve. I think it's very important for us as a church to keep this truth buried deep within our hearts and at the forefront of our mind, especially when we're going through some hardship ourselves, when when things aren't quite working out the way we had hoped for it to, when it seems like Satan is just wreaking havoc in your life, especially when it seems like the church is on the losing side and the world is winning and has the upper hand. It is God who allows the beast to fight against the church. It is God who even allows the beast to overcome the church. But we shouldn't be surprised by this stuff. We've seen it, we've read about it in Job's life. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, I could even, I could almost hear God saying the same thing to the beast. He says to the beast, have you considered those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ? That there is none like the church. There is none like the church in all of the earth. Blameless and upright and one who fears God and shuns evil. The names of those who who are written in the book of life of the Lamb that is slain before the foundation of the world. They are the only ones who will not bow their knee to the beast. Only those who have been left out of the book will be duped by the dragon and the beast, and they are going to worship those creatures. Now, this reminds me of what Paul said in his letter to the church at Corinth, that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are already perishing. Those who who already don't believe, they don't see it because they don't want to see it. Those whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, I think we have to be very careful as we read through this revelation, because if we aren't careful, I think we could, we could read chapter 13 and we could come away with a feeling of a sense of loss, especially when you read verse 7, where it says that the saints were overcome by the beast. What we've already been told in chapter 12, verse 11, is that we have the victory. That we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We're already victorious. So when we come to chapter 13, verse 7, this defeat is but for a moment. Because when we get to chapter 15, verse 2, we see the saints are rejoicing over their victory. Look at verse 2. Of chapter 15, John says, and I saw something. I saw something that looked like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, I saw them standing on the sea of glass and they had harps of God. 
They're rejoicing over their victory. I want to repeat something that I shared with you the last time I spoke on chapter 12 because I think it's true and I think it's incredibly powerful. Daniel Aiken says that amazingly the blood of the martyrs does not give proof that Satan has triumphed, but rather it proves that we, the saints, have triumphed over him. As our acceptance of Jesus and his work on the cross provides victory over sin as well as over Satan. Folks, this provides an incredible amount of hope for me, and I hope it does for you as well, because what it guarantees us is that as we come into contact with demonic forces and sources in this world, we are coming into contact with a defeated power, no matter what our earthly experiences may reveal. Now, some of you may be here this morning. I'm going to close with this. Some of you may be here this morning and, and you don't know him. I want to I ask you if you do know him. And, and again, I'm not talking about this counterfeit antichrist that, that you have grown accustomed to believing in, right? I'm talking about the real, the authentic Jesus Christ, the one who hung, bled, and died in your place. If you don't know him this morning, God has given you an opportunity today. You have this moment right now to trust in him, to get to know him, and to live in victory as he has provided it for you already. If you don't know him, folks, don't waste another moment. God has demonstrated his love for you and that Christ has gone to the cross on your behalf. That while you were a sinner in rebellion, rejecting God's love and grace toward you, it was at that time that Christ died. The word of God tells us that to as many as believe in him, to those people, power was given, that they might become the children of God. That can become your reality this morning. So I'm going to ask you, as we sing this, this final song, I'm going to ask you to stand. And those of you who don't know him, but you feel that the Lord is calling you this morning, would you come and surrender your Thanks for listening today. You can watch past sermons on our YouTube channel at Britain Church. Be sure to connect with us on social media as well. We would love to see you on Sunday morning for one of our services at 8.30 or 10.40. Have a great week.